Welcome to Radical AI, a podcast about technology, power, society, and what it means to be human in the age of information. We are your hosts, Dylan and Jess, two PhD students with different backgrounds researching AI and technology ethics. In this episode, we discuss what causes AI to fail from a business and industry perspective and beyond. We ask questions like what metrics are used to measure and indicate failure? And how can we improve the field of AI by learning from these failures? In this episode, we interview Kathleen Walsh and Ron Schmelzer of Cognolytica's AI Today podcast. Ron and Kathleen are both principal analysts, managing partners, and founders of Cognolytica. Cognolytica is a research, advisory, and education firm focused on advanced big data analytics, cognitive technologies, and evolving areas of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Ron and Kathleen are also both the hosts of Cognolytica's podcast, the AI Today podcast, which focuses on what's going on today in the world of artificial intelligence. Their episodes have easy-to-digest content with experts on the subject who cut through the hype and noise to identify what's really happening with adoption and implementation of AI. And holy wow, Jess, this is a special podcast swap bonus episode. For this episode, we swapped interviews with the hosts of the AI Today podcast. So this means that we interviewed Ron and Kathleen for this episode, and they also interviewed us on the same topic. Both of the interviews focused on the topic of failure in AI. And if you would like to hear both of us discuss this topic in the interview that they did with us, be sure to head over to their show and give today's episode a listen. That's right. Both of the episodes are dropping in the same day and the link for their interview of us is in the show notes. Now let's talk about failure in artificial intelligence. We're here today with Kathleen and Ron from the AI Today podcast. Welcome you both to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. We're so excited for this podcast, Bob. Yeah, thrilled to be here. I know we've interviewed you on our podcast. It was fantastic. So we're hoping to repay the favor. And uh, for folks who are listening to this episode, the day it goes live, please uh, also head over to AI Today, both to show some love and also to listen to Jess and I uh, kind of do the reverse of this interview that we're going into right now. Um, and so Kathleen and Ron, almost to set the scene before we get into this conversation about AI failure, how we define it, how we um, see it out in the world and why it matters. Let's talk about you both and about the AI Today podcast. So what is this AI Today podcast? How did it come to be? And I guess, where is it right now? Yeah, so the AI Today podcast, Ron and I started back in 2017. So we've, we're over 200 episodes right now. And we really wanted to start, you know, like the name says, where AI is today. So we wanted to hear about use cases and how different, companies and different organizations and also government agencies are actually implementing AI in the real world, what some of their challenges has been, uh, what some of their successes have, have been. And so that's what for the past four years now going into our fifth year of the podcast, we've been focused on. So we've had tons of great interviews. We've interviewed, you know, people from across the world. Uh, so that's been, that's been great. We've had guests from various government agencies, as I mentioned, international, as well as U.S. We've had, um, so Lord Tim Clement Jones from the UK House of Lords. We've had folks from Hungary talk about their AI strategy. We're upcoming interviewing the CDO of Scotland on their AI strategy as well. And we've also interviewed various thought leaders from Fortune 1000 companies, Dun & Bradstreet and Wells Fargo, uh, you know, LexisNexis, many, many different organizations, because we wanted to see how folks are actually adopting AI, what some of their challenges has been. And it's interesting, you know, there's some very broad challenges and uh, we'll talk a little bit later about, you know, AI failures, some of those broad broad challenges that organizations address. But overall, I think that, um, you know, what we've realized is that your problems most likely are not unique just to yourself. So the more that you can talk and share and learn from others, the stronger the entire community will be. I think the other reason I'm Ron Schmelzer are also uh, one of the co-hosts of the AI Today podcast and our day job, this is actually not our day job. The thing that we spend our time doing 
at Cognolytica is we are analysts. So we spend a long time looking at the markets for like, you know, who are the companies building technology solutions for the space? Who are the companies adopting them? And we, we're, we're realists, just like you guys in your podcast. I think you mentioned that as well. Like, you know, we're optimists. We are, we hope for the best in technology, but we're also realists. And we know that the, the reality doesn't always match up with the hype. And that's especially the case. The thing, the thing that makes AI really so unique as a technological uh, area, if you want to think of it that way, is that there's just so much science fiction concept that the average person, when they think about artificial intelligence, they have this idea in their head about autonomous systems and, and smart machines and super intelligence, and they've watched too much Star Wars and Star Trek and Terminator and RoboCop and whatever it is, and they have this idea. And then, if, but of course, the reality is that we could barely get our act together with clean data. It's like, you know, we try to make recognition systems. They have tons of problems and our conversational systems aren't so great. And that's really what we try to, to do in our podcast. There's lots of other great podcasts that focus on some of the research and what's happening in the future. And there are podcasts like yourselves that talk about some of the societal issues and, and the challenges kind of more at this trying to put this stuff into place. And we're like, okay, th all that stuff is great. And we, that's why we encourage other people to listen to these podcasts because we don't really talk too much about them, mainly because what we're focused on is, okay, well, you know, these economists and this government agency were trying to do some natural language thing, and they ran into some issue where the system couldn't figure out car landed on person versus person landed on car, and those two, the difference matters quite a bit. So just a little bit of insight and background, but really thrilled. I think I think we, we serve together as our podcast audiences the broad needs for information in this space. Absolutely. And that meshing of audiences is one of the things that made us so excited to do this podcast swap with both of you, especially because your podcast touches on some topics that we haven't actually covered as much on our podcast. And one of those topics that we are most interested in is failure, which is, as Dylan alluded to earlier, the topic of conversation today. So before we get into the nitty gritty of AI failure, we just wanted to ask you both uh, I guess, a primer question of what is failure in the first place? How do you both define the word failure? Yeah, that's really, really great. That's actually a good question. Uh, actually, if you do a YouTube search on my name, Ron Schmelzer, you will actually find that I did a talk for TEDx on failure. I was actually kind of, it was a kind of a funny talk about how we only learn from our, we learn mostly from our failures and not as much from our successes because we can always pinpoint a reason or two why something failed, but we're not always sure why something succeeded. Um, but in the, in the context of AI and machine learning, uh, what we have found is that organizations are trying to accomplish some goal. And they believe, these organizations believe that AI and machine learning technologies will help them achieve that goal. It could be trying to automate something and reduce their cost of their, their human labor cost, or it might be trying to improve reliability, or maybe we're trying to do something that we weren't able to do before, like take a picture of some blemish on your skin and the system can help identify if this is something you should be worried about or not, or like, you know, taking a picture of a plant that tells you what, what it is. And these are all sort of goals, right? We're all trying to accomplish some goals, but usually what, what a lot of times what has happened is that the goals and the outcomes of what they were expecting these systems to do have not matched up with what they were hoping them to do. The end and actual outcomes have not matched their expectations. And, and, oh, and or they've, they've abandoned their projects. They start these projects and they just don't finish them because they, there's, there, there's all, and we'll talk a little about, there's actually many reasons, but it's like about 10 big reasons why, but um, you know, a lot of it has to do with not understanding the, 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 the challenge that is these systems are all super dependent on data and they can't function without good data and not realizing, not getting a handle on what that, what those data should be and the quality and the availability and other issues is usually what, what gets people stuck uh, for that. But I know that Kathleen has more to add on failures and failure in general. Yeah, you know, that's a great question, I think, because a lot of people don't ask that and they should be at the beginning saying, you know, what what does this look like? What does failure look like for this project? Sometimes people um, don't ask that question. They're not super honest with themselves and they end up going down a path that they shouldn't and they continue with that project for too long. You know, Ron talked about these abandoned projects 
uh, depending on how much time and money and resources you've invested into that, people don't always want it to fail. So they just continue to dump more time and resources and money into a failing project that doesn't always resurrect it. So you need to you need to be realistic and say, okay, if we're hitting these failure rates that we've set up, maybe we should not do this project, or maybe we should start smaller, or maybe we should, you know, reevaluate what what it means and what we're trying to accomplish. So I think that, you know, organizations and anybody that's looking to implement AI really needs to to look at that and say, okay, you know, what does it look like? Because failure looks different to everybody. And that's something that um, struck me both already in this conversation and also in the conversation that we had on, on your show um, about the different stakeholders involved and those different definitions intermingling and how difficult it is, especially for someone who's not within, like deep within the space to make sense of that. And something that uh, we focus on, as you mentioned, Ron, is that social uh, element, especially like downstream social impacts of these systems. And I'm curious for uh, you both looking at markets in general, are we seeing trends of folks paying attention to these social impacts or is it mostly about these projects and then the financial element and definitions of failure based off of that? Yeah, we are definitely seeing a big uptick in the all of the ethical and responsible aspects of AI. And actually, AI is kind of nice because it gets a lot of media attention. But honestly, any data-driven project, even so-called traditional data project, where you're doing data mining or any sort of predictive analytics or algorithmic decision-making, where even a human might've come up with an algorithm. People are like, the machine hasn't derived it on its own, right? There is now a much, much greater awareness of, the, of, of all of these issues of data and the societal need for it. it. Within a corporate environment, certainly there's some of these do relate to some of the, the business aspects of it. But, it. but I think as we were mentioning as well, there are lots of sort of non-business aligned uh, uses of AI, whether it's, uh, governmental systems trying to use AI for public health. Um, people have become a lot more aware uh, of, of various statistics and probability, even if they don't understand it. They're like, you know, random person might be like, what's this R value? See, I, I was going to bring out that accent. You know, what is it? What's, I don't know what this means, but it's like people looking at contagion rates and they're looking at infection rates and they're looking at hospitalization rates and they're, they're quoting numbers they don't quite understand, but they know how important this data is as, as now. So everybody's being more aware of it. There are also a lot more in the way of privacy regulations that uh, even if they apply overseas, it's a European privacy regulation. If you're a multinational, you're complying and you can't pick and choose. You can't be like, well, for this population, we're not going to comply. But for this problem population, we are. It's just too hard to do that. So they're just like, oh, we're just going to comply because the, 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 the cost of non-compliance is high. But yeah, we are seeing a lot more of that. And Kathleen, right, when we talk exactly. a little about kind of bringing it into the process, right? Exactly. So, you know, as Ron mentioned, we've we've been doing this podcast for quite some time, but our primary focus is at Cognolytica, which is an AI-focused research advisory and education firm. And at Cognolytica, one of the reports that we published earlier this year was um, we, we looked at uh, ethical AI frameworks from a variety of different organizations, government agencies, uh, collaborations as well. It was about 60 plus organizations that we looked at. And, you know, I, I think in general, people are starting to pay attention. Organizations are. We also talk about this idea of, you know, uh, putting ethics first, right? So you want to build these systems in a responsible way. And you need to make sure that you do that from the beginning of a project. So at Cognolytica, we are advocates for best practices, methodologies. It's really important that people do AI right. And so we're advocates of CPMAI methodology, which is cognitive project management for AI methodology. The first step is a business understanding step. We, we get asked fairly regularly, do you start with your data understanding or do you start with your business understanding? And we always say, well, point back to CPMAI methodology. We want to start with our you know, business understanding, also organizational understanding, if you want to think of it that way. Some people, uh, you know, government agencies, for example, may not be in business, so to say. So it's organizational understanding. And you need to make sure that you're actually solving a problem because if you're not solving a problem, don't do it. Then if you are solving a problem, that's where you need to put in your failure rate. So that kind of wraps back to that first question saying, what does this project look like if we succeed? 
And then in the reverse, if you're not succeeding, right, then we're, we're obviously doing something wrong and we need to um, iterate on that. In addition to that, you need to look at your ethical, responsible AI frameworks, figure out how you're building this. You know, as Ron mentioned, you can't say, okay, well, I'm going to build it one way for one, one type of person, which that could be in a region or, you know, classified as a, as a, you know, different classifications, but for other people, I'll build it different. So we want to make sure that we're building it in an ethical and responsible way. We have seen the increase in this over the past year or two specifically where people are really focusing on that. And we think that that's great. We wanna to continue to have these conversations because without these conversations and bringing it to the forefront, making people really aware, then it's not always that people are building things maliciously. They're just not thinking through the entire process. So that's why we say methodology folks, methodology, and you want to make sure that you are following a set of steps so that it can be repeatable, so that it can be transparent, so that other folks in the organization who come on board, if you hire in externally, or you're looking internally, um, understand exactly what you did and have the set of steps laid out. Absolutely. And methodology, the methodology that you just defined and that Cognolytica has done some great work um, helping put out there for the, the general public and for some of these engineers is a great example of doing AI right, as you were saying. And uh, we're here today to talk about doing AI wrong. <laughs> and uh, something that I'm wondering is... If we're talking about failure in AI, can we ground ourselves in some specific examples of when people have done AI quote wrong, uh, especially possibly examples that you have both encountered on your show, talking with people who have experienced failure firsthand. What are some um, case studies that we can ground ourselves in here? Sure. So I think it's important to also start, you know, Ron and I at Cog and, and the team at Cognolytica, we've really looked through this and said, you know, what are some of these common reasons for AI failure? Because, you know, you can have specific reasons for failure, but maybe that's not always the way you should look at it. It should be a little bit more broad because you can say, well, it was this one specific reason, but, you know, maybe just tweak that and then it no longer fails. So we look at these general themes and say, well, why, why are projects failing? And general themes that we found is that AI projects are not like traditional software development projects. So when you think of them as a traditional software development project, build your team like that, you use methodologies um, that are not, you know, AI and data specific, then don't be surprised if your project fails. So we have seen that as, <laughs> as an example, you know, and that's why we're advocates for best practices with AI methodologies specifically. Yeah, and a case in point to, to bring in a specific case example, we'll get this little ping pong back here, is of course we think about all these chatbot failures where people have approached them like, okay, I'm gonna build a chatbot, right? But the functionality of a chatbot you know, between iteration one and iteration two, it's the same. It's not like we're changing the functionality. What defines the behavior of the chatbot is, of course, the data, which is what has the chatbot been trained to do? What are its intents? We have some notable failures, the ones that have been in the press, Microsoft Tay, of course, when don't basically don't let the internet train your chatbot. That is like, I don't even know who made that decision. That was like, this, has anybody even like been on Reddit? I mean, seriously, why would you let the internet train it? That's just stupid, right? But like you have all these smart people at Microsoft. I'm not trying to, you know, you have the smartest engineers in the room and, and it's like, it don't matter how smart you are. It's like, it's a bad decision. And that all comes down to data, right? And bad training data and systems doing bad things, right? But there are many other examples where Kathleen mentioned, which is the approach as a functionality thing, which is like, okay, I'm gonna put this functionality in place functionality done, check, move on. It's like, wait a second, don't you remember the Goldman Sachs uh, credit card that was approving people uh, at the same family, different spouses, different credit limits? It's like, no, checklist functionality not done. This is clearly data problem here. And so this is why it's like, okay, functionality, it's gotta work. But what you really need to be focusing on is iterating the data because the data has the life cycle. So. That's, that's number one, but we got plenty of examples for you. So I'll let Kathleen keep going here. Sure. Um, you know, and these are not in any real specific order saying, you know, that this is reason number 10 or nine or eight, why, why they're failing. So, you know, these are a variety of different things that we've seen. The next one is that the ROI, so your return on investment and however you measure that 
is not justified by the project. So, you know, at Cognolytica, we work with both government agencies and private sector as well. ROI can look different in both of them. And we always say, don't limit it ROI to just money either. It can be time or resources or, you know, different, different things. So don't just, you know, pigeonhole yourself to think one thing, but it can be that sometimes hiring a person can just be faster, quicker, cheaper. If you need hundred percent accuracy, then don't use an AI system and make sure that you're solving that business understanding. Because if you're not actually solving a real problem and it's a little toy project, then when you go to actually use this, people are not going to, people are not going to adopt it because it's not actually solving anything. You also need to make sure that you have your stakeholders involved because if at the end of the day, the people that are supposed to be using this project won't, then you just build it for nothing. So make sure that you're involving them early in the process. That's supposed to be in phase one um, because you want to make sure that they're actually going, going to use it. Yeah, so the, the usual case in point for this one where ROI mismatches uh, expectations is usually robotics because this is where we get into this trouble all the time. Uh, you may have seen Walmart uh, was trying to put this bot in place. We're doing things like inventory, shelf scanning, and a few other things, you know, Lowe's as well. They had this bot that was doing this stuff, and they both basically pulled them back. Walmart actually pulled back on its, on its bot investment. Um, Lowe's basically never really rolled it out and, you know, soft and pepper robot too. Right. Yeah. Um, where, you know, there's jokes in, in the media now that pepper was fired, but, um, pepper robot was from a robot that SoftBank robotics had put out. And we actually had an interview on the AI today podcast with, um, somebody from the Smithsonian Institute in the United States. So episode number 67 on the AI today podcast and, you know, Pepper was supposed to help attract visitors to some of these underattended galleries in the Smithsonian museums. And Pepper could help ask or, you know, answer commonly asked questions and it would be able to be interactive. And they thought that it would bring some engagement. But what they found, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, they've been quiet about how successful Pepper has been. <laughs> that was launched a few years ago. And other people have pulled out. I know that Pepper was also in um, a uh, grocery store in the UK. And actually, it was a little interesting. The, this article that talked about it said that Pepper's experience in the real world has been checkered because actually it started to scare customers rather than engage them the way that they wanted. And Pepper had a lot of issues too because they weren't able, Pepper, the, the robot wasn't able to hear um, and had difficulty understanding and answering questions just because of background noise. So, you know, that's also when you build projects in isolation. Yes, obviously you're not going to build it in like an incredibly noisy room with tons of background noise and uh, you know different different situations going on. And then when you so so you build it one way, and when you deploy it into an actual real world situation, then you say, oh wait, what's going on? It doesn't understand background noise. The ceilings are about twenty feet higher than in my little test room. What's going on? Yeah, we 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 can spend hours on this. I know we have like a whole lot of things, but I just want to I want to just want to add one final point on robotics, and that it's been it's it's always been a checkered history with robotics. We all see those videos, Boston Dynamics, with their crazy robot running and doing parkour and flips, and sort of like a little bit of the joke in the industry is like that's great, and Boston Dynamics is awesome at making viral videos. But if they want to show their bot doing something really cool, they should show it doing something useful, like deliver pizza. You know, or, uh, you know, mow a lawn or I don't know. I mean, hang up, hang a picture on the wall. How about that? A simple task for a human nail, put a nail in and hang, tell the robot to let's, let's see how well the bot does with that. Oh, they're never going to show that. And, and that's because, yeah, I mean, it's, and, that, and actually, if you look at Boston Dynamics as a company, it actually itself has a bit of a checkered history. It's been sort of passed from one owner to another owner. And I think, I think now it's owned by Hitachi, I think, but it was Google had it for a while or maybe Hyundai, but like, that's the thing. It just, it, it's sort of case in point to the mismatch. I mean, we can go for hours. I don't know if you want to keep going on these, but there's so many, so many other reasons for, for the, for the failures around uh, data quality yeah. and quantity and that sort of stuff. And, and we can we can continue to uh, to list examples, but I'm wondering if we can maybe frame these examples in in the next level. So we've talked a little bit about the definition of failure, the definitions of failure, uh, talked a little bit about those uh, specific examples of the what. And I'm wondering if we can move into the 
why. Um, so I've, I've heard a few things that you all have said, like there's this AI for AI sake, and maybe behind that is like just this like psychological excitement. Oh, this thing is new. Oh, the rest of the industry is doing it. So we need to do it just period and not necessarily think about it. I've also heard you say that like, sometimes it's not clear what the problem is, but we just kind of bring AI into it and to solve for something, even when it's an undefined problem. But I'm wondering if we're seeing this, right? Y'all have been doing these interviews for four years. Um, and around the time, you know, in 2016, 2017, there was the predictive policing. And now, you know, we've, keeps, we've kept seeing these things mm -hmm. um, come up over and over again. And I'm curious about why? Why haven't we been able to fix this uh, problem and it keeps coming down the pipeline? Or these problems, I should say. Yeah, I, I think there's really, I think this is on the unfortunate cycle with AI and your listeners might might know this as well, although some, sometimes they, they don't with the whole idea of the AI winters. I don't know if that's a topic you guys have covered, but as you know, we have this sort of like inflation, this hype cycle where people get really enthusiastic, especially when we like solve some fundamental challenge in intelligence. We're like, ah, oh, we figured something out. We figured out deep learning or we figured out expert networks. Or we figured out just basic, you know, computer logic. And they're like, and then, then you kind of get this like little fantasy complex. You're like, oh, well, if we can do that, then, then we can do, we can do anything. And then, and then, and then the money comes in and the government investment comes in and the researchers come in and then there's like global competition. And then we're like, ah, well, we, what we did is like, it's an onion. Intelligence is like this, this, this onion. Like you, we've unwrapped one level or a parfait, I guess, if you're you like Shrek, but uh, it's like layers, right? And uh, um, it's like we, we, we solved that one layer and we could solve all these problems, but we haven't figured out all the layers. And so we kind of hit that wall, right? And, and then it just, uh, so what happens is our over-promise and deliver, and that's sort of like this chronic cycle with, with, with the AI, right, right, Kathleen? Exactly. So back when we first started our podcast, podcast number five, we talked about the AI winners. So if your listeners don't know about that, we encourage you to check out AI Today podcast number five, where we talk about that and go into great detail with it. But, you know, the concept of AI is not new, right? It's, I mean, the term was coined in the 1950s. We've gone through two winters. And so now we're back in what some people call an AI spring or an AI summer. We've had this resurgence and we can say, well, why, right? Why back in the 1950s did we start doing all this great stuff, took us to about the 1970s, and then we had our first winter came back, had our second, you know, season with AI and expert systems back in the 80s and the early 90s. Then we went into another decline and another winter, and now we're back. And why? Why even go through the declines? And why have, uh, you know, why have we not maybe advanced as far as we think that we should have if it's been around since the 1950s? And I think the overarching problem and a big reason for failure is that we overpromise and underdeliver on what we can do. So back in the 1950s, think about how much data we had, not nearly what we have now, right? Think about the compute power, not nearly what we have now. Well, if we want these systems to do all these great things and we didn't have all of that uh, that was needed to, to make things move forward, but we had the ideas, well, then you can see how we're overpromising on what we can actually do and then underdelivering on it. Same thing happened in the second wave of AI. Uh, expert systems were really brittle and people said, you know what, we're investing all of this uh, money, time, resources, and at the end of the day, it's not really giving us the advantage that we need. It's not really moving us forward past what humans can do themselves. And so we had a pullback in investment and uh, had another winter. And now we're in our third wave and you know, we've been able to accomplish some really incredible things, but it you, you need to make sure that you manage expectations and really understand problems AI can solve, problems AI cannot solve, and then set your expectations and make it realistic. And I think that we continue, you know, Ron mentioned at the beginning of this podcast where we have the science fiction idea of AI and the science fiction idea of robots and what we think intelligent machines can do. And that is not always where we are. In fact, it's not where we are, right? I mean, like we do not have super intelligent machines. Think about Westworld. We do not have um, robots that look just like humans that we can shoot and kill and then come back the next day. Like in Westworld, we do not have that. So if, if that's what science fiction is telling us, and then we go, well, we don't have that. 
well, we're over promising and then obviously not being able to deliver on that. And I think that people can uh, quickly get underwhelmed with what we can do rather than saying, this is what we can do. Let's expand on that instead of reaching high, high to the sky and then not being able to meet those expectations. Let's follow that thread of thought, actually, because Kathleen, when you were talking about us being in a, an AI spring or summer right now, I was thinking in my head, oh no, winter is coming. And, okay. and I was trying to think through, you know, what could cause that winter to come. So I'm wondering if through these interviews that you've all conducted over the last few years, do you have a sense of in what ways right now as a discipline, AI is uh, under delivering or over promising? Yeah, and you know, actually, it's a actually it's a good question as to what what season we actually are in. I mean, some could say that we actually are starting to see signs of entering a fall. It's possible. Uh, we are not in a winter. Obviously, the winter would be no more investment and no more interest and poor researchers going finding other things to research. That, that that's what that's you know we're in a winter when that's happening. And you say you bring up neural networks and they'd be like, don't. Don't mention neural net. That's when you know when you're in yeah, winter. That's what happened, by the way, in late 1990s. If you brought up neural networks, you'd be like, "Don't talk to me about neural nets." Um, so, but there is a lot of indication that we are in a bit. We may have plateaued. We might have actually plateaued in the cycle, uh, mainly because we're now starting to see more acquisition activity, more consolidation activity in the vendors. We're starting to see some uh, pushback on on the promises of AI. We know that there's a number of actually uh, articles that have been on the press and actually articles that will probably be coming on the press talking about how, like, for example, there was an article about how IBM Watson totally missed the mark. All their promises about Watson Health uh, did not really materialize the challenges of actually making AI work in the public health sector is actually very hard. And the, the interesting thing is, is like in our interviews that we have in a number of podcasts, I'm maybe find the episode numbers, but we've talked to people in the healthcare industry and they say, well, we're actually some of the most conservative adopters of technology. I don't know why people thought we would have been the first to adopt. We're usually one of the slowest, you know, to adopt. We, you know, we have a lot of regulation and they have to go to clinical trials. It's a very well proven path of trying to introduce new technology, especially when you're trying to do diagnostics or therapeutics or anything like that, right? But IBM charged headfirst into that, ran into all these problems as they, as was expected, and then pulled back. And, and then I think, I think we're starting to see, I don't know if you guys may see it, but we are starting to see some um, sort of their, the, like sort of the Silicon Valley uh, model, if you will, of building tech companies is starting to get some pushback uh, because there's a lot of this uh, fail fast and break things and don't really care about the users. And, you know, if you're not the customer, you're the product. Um, it, it's becoming a lot more cynicism about that and people not trusting Facebook, which probably is a good idea not to trust companies like Facebook. But then if you look at Google, I mean, it's not that I have anything in particular about Google, Facebook, Microsoft, any of the fang, right? But look at the AI researchers. Look, who are the top AI researchers? Jan LeCun, he is at Facebook, right? You know, you have the DeepMind folks, part of Google. You have uh, other folks, part of, of, of Amazon, part of IBM. And then you're like, okay, they're trying to solve these AI problems, but within the context of a company, in the case of Facebook, whose primary job is to monetize your data, right? Monetize your privacy. <laughs> and it's like, should I trust them? The answer is no, of course you shouldn't trust them, right? And, and, so, um, and so that's actually starting to have some impacts on, on AI adoption. People are like, I don't know if I, you know, don't trust the algorithm, all this sort of stuff, which is, which is, I think is, I think is fair. I mean, we are, we are just like you guys, very pragmatists here. It's like, no, there's no reason to generically trust an algorithm. But are we going to start seeing abilities to consent? Are we going to start to see abilities disclosure even? Can you even opt out? And I think that's kind of where, where there's a lot of, uh, I guess, agita, I don't know what the right word is, but there's a lot of sort of concern that it may or may not be possible to, to truly opt out because opting out might mean cutting off something that's incredibly uh, important in your life, whether it's a payment system or a transportation system or a health system or a finance system or an education system. These, these aren't things you can really opt out of. <laughs> no. You know, at Cognolytica too, we always say, start small, think big, and iterate often. And what we've seen is that some companies think big and start big and then wonder why it fails. <laughs> so, right. you know, we always say, you know, as Ron mentioned with IBM Watson Health, I mean, that's an incredibly difficult problem to solve. 
Um, and also there are certain industries that just are more risk averse than others. Uh, you know, we've uh, gone to some, we've spoken at um, construction conferences and they are a pretty, you know, technologically risk risk averse industry. And AI is not, they are not a quick adopter of AI. They're a laggard in that space. So, you know, don't go in and then think that you are going to be so disruptive and totally revolutionize the industry uh, when people are, are resistant to that. So if you think big, but you start small and you iterate often, then you can start to see more successes as well. And talking about healthcare in particular, you know, we've had a few interviews with some great people Podcast number 174 uh, was about more AI and pharma. We had Sabroto Mukherjee, who's the head of innovation and emerging tech at GlaxoSmithKline. We've also, podcast 167 was our interview with CBS Health. And then podcast 191, we interviewed um, Elon Kazi, who's the who's with United Healthcare Group and all of those, you know, people from many different uh, companies within that very large, you know, healthcare pharmaceutical uh, industry, they are risk averse too because there's a lot of regulations in place and laws and regulations that you need to make sure that you're following and you don't want to just jump into innovative technology when you haven't fully thought it through. So, you know, I, I respect that. I think that, that that's great. You know, don't, don't just jump into something and not fully think it through. We've seen the implications of that. We talked about, you know, chatbots, things like that, where you can go rogue and, and you don't always get the outcomes that you want. Um, so I think you need to understand that too. You know, understand what industries really do push, push the needle forward, which ones don't, and use that as well. Um, otherwise, you're you're going to start seeing that you know we're just over promising on what we can do and then under delivering on it. And I think that uh, we saw that with uh, we we always point to IBM Watson their health, but I think that because that's something that was very easily seen. Also, the media likes to point out all of the failures, and they don't point out the successes or the boring, good, mundane use cases that, that really are helping to move things forward, because that just doesn't make a great news article. I do want to add one, one small thing on this overpromise and to deliver. A good sort of case in point of this is sort of Tesla's full self-driving, right? Which is that we're no, we haven't even achieved autonomous vehicle driving. It's actually a very hard problem. And if you talk to researchers like Rodney Brooks, they'd be like, this is like one of the hardest problems. You're dealing with literal randomness that can happen, you know, dark conditions, light conditions, rain, snow, people, random objects. It's like, this is like one of the hardest problems. But you have people like Elon Musk going, we're going to be full self-driving within blah, blah, blah amount of time. Give us your $10,000. We'll upgrade your, your Tesla vehicle. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, I was like, why don't you think big and do what we said? Think big, start small, iterate up. And you don't have to promise full self-driving. You can be like, we will keep you in your lane. We'll do autonomous lane keep, automatic lane keeping, or we'll do what's called adaptive speed, uh, cruise control. So if you set the cruise control, but something's coming, these things are doable, right? Or it could be things like, you know, advanced warnings and this this and that, um, or, you know, maybe, maybe routing and, and facilitate your, I've seen things where it's like help you parallel parking. There's a lot of people who can't parallel park. Nothing wrong with that. That seems to do okay. Cause you, it's a very controlled environment, but no, we have these like crazy, crazy claims. It's like, what do you expect? It's like, people are going to hop into the backseat, push the full self-driving mode, and they're going to run into a tractor trailer. And it's like, not much of a surprise. And, and so we're like, I, I don't really understand. I think why there's such a necessity to have to jump to to the to the far far claim, and of course you could say, yep, could be profit motive, could be trying to sell more vehicles, it could be trying to sell the upgrades, but I'm like, dude, you'd sell just as much vehicles. People are not driving Teslas because of the full self driving; they're driving because it's an electric car, <laughs> and this is a not those things. Like I wasn't going to do it, but full self driving, I'm in. So um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of weird misalignments, I think, on this. A lot of other things. We don't understand what the motivation is for Neuralink, you know, the whole brain, human. I understand if you were like handicapped, paralyzed, using that to facilitate, that would be fantastic, but that's not what they're doing. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. Alon, call us. We'll talk to you on our podcast. We'll talk to you here. We'll do a joint podcast with Radical AI. How about that? Uh, so let's, let's, as we move towards closing, I'm just going to ask a, a personal, blatantly unfair question, um, which is moving into that success space. Um, 
I'm curious for you both um, individually, so not necessarily in terms of the market definitions, uh, but what does success look like? If there is like a successful ideal world of artificial intelligence, is it that like 1950s vision? Is it the world in which we can promise big things and then create big things through this? What does that look like? And if you'd be willing to say like, how would you measure that? Yeah, that's a great question. And for me, what I think would be successful AI application and adoption is this idea of augmented intelligence, where we're not replacing the human, but we are helping the human be better at a certain task or role. So I look at this as, you know, I do not speak multiple languages, but I like to travel when we can. So wouldn't it be great if I could go to France or Indonesia or Japan and anywhere in the world that does not speak English and be able to just freely, con you know, converse with them and they would understand me and I would understand them thanks to the power of AI. So you're not replacing the human, but you're just helping me be a better human. Uh, also with you know, doing certain tasks better. Wouldn't it be great if you had that augmented intelligence next to you to say, hey, you know, I'm an accountant, tax law just changed. Hey, you know, do you remember this? Oh, maybe you should look at this. Oh, thank you. Now you help me file my taxes a little bit better. Um, so, so things like that, where you're able to just, you know, be a better human, I guess, because of AI. <laughs> that would be something that I would really, I, I would consider success. Yeah, I, th I think that's a great place to start. I mean, I mean, basically, as I say, great technologies are almost invisible. It's like we don't, it's not it's this jarring thing, which has been sort of imposed upon us. It's useful because it helps us in our life. And that's really what most technology has been throughout the whole human evolution. We've invented different things from vehicles to you know, machinery and equipment. And each time we've done that, it's actually helped make our lives better. It's, it's expanded our quality of life. It's allowed us to live longer, healthier lives, be more prosperous, you know, and, and that's really, well, that's what makes a technology successful. Technology is not successful when, when it, when it does the reverse, you know, when it makes our quality of life worse, or if it like makes something we've done harder, um, you know, that's not what we want, you know, from, from any sort of successful technology and kind of where we are right now to sort of set those expectations where we actually are with artificial intelligence. A lot of this is not as much an artificial intelligence as much as it is, we are finding better ways to derive more insights from data. And we have machine learning that helps us derive those insights so that someone doesn't need to program it and code, you know, these hard code rules, we can do some discovery. And what are the situations in which that is really very helpful. So, um, you know, I, I am just like Kathleen, I'm very hopeful that sort of in this evolution, this wave of, a, of AI that we've had, we've, we've been able to, to be much better about that, be more thoughtful. And I, I, but I do think that the world is becoming more aware of sort of their data footprint, of, of sort of the responsibility that organizations need to have about data, treating uh, data like, like it's, a, it's a really important asset and treating our what's called agency as humans, you know, to be able to, to have freedom of choice and to be able to um, sort of live without imp impedance. I think that's becoming more and more important. I, I hope it's gonna become increasingly easier over time, but you know, we'll have to see how the, how the world evolves. I'm impressed that we were able to take a conversation that was centered around failure and, and end with hope. That's something we love to do on the Radically AI podcast is end with an optimistic lens on the topics we're talking about. And unfortunately, we are out of time for today's conversation. Uh, but if you would like us to hear us talk about uh, these topics extensively for another hour, be sure to check out, as Dylan was saying before, our podcast swap on the AI Today podcast, where we get into some of the more ethical issues and nuances of uh, this problem that we're discussing. And for now, Ron and Kathleen, we will be sure to include many links to your show and the various episodes that you mentioned in our show notes. Uh, but for this conversation, thank you so much for coming on our show and doing this podcast swap with us and for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. We had so much fun. We want to thank Ron and Kathleen again for a wonderful conversation about failure in artificial intelligence. And this was fun for us to do because so many of our conversations on this show are rooted in how we define or 
measure or critique or explore success in artificial intelligence. And so this was a slightly new framing for the show. And Jess, what do you think? What was your maybe primary takeaway from this conversation with Ron and Kathleen? Oh, yeah, we love talking about failure. Talking about failure is great. Uh, as academics, I think we love talking about critique. We love talking about things that are wrong. We love picking things apart and failure definitely falls under that umbrella. Uh, no, but actually in this conversation, I think, uh, one of the things that stood out to me the most, uh, was actually when Ron brought up the AI winters, I realized that I, I've heard that expression many times, but I actually never knew what an AI winter was. And so he was like, yeah, you guys talk about this on your show, right? And I was just kind of, it was like one of those like fake nods where you're like, totally, uh-huh. We've definitely heard of this before. And in my head, I was like, wow, I actually am glad that you're explaining this because I did not know what this was. And uh, I, I thought it was, the, one of the reasons it stood out to me was because Ron mentioned that in an AI winter, there is no more funding for AI because the hype is gone. And so nobody really wants to be responsible for funding something that nobody's really excited about, or maybe that doesn't have any promise anymore. And I just pictured NSF having no more grants available for people researching AI. And then I pictured my potential for getting money for researching AI and being able to be paid for my research. And that was a scary thought. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully, even if we are entering an AI fall or whatever phase, whatever season AI is currently in right now, hopefully um, that doesn't impact our potential to do research on this kind of stuff in the future. Uh, that was just, I mean, kind of unrelated to the conversation totally, but that actually was my immediate takeaway. Uh, what about you, Dylan? Yeah, no, I like I, I like the conversation about winters. I think sometimes um, uh, in our show, partially because there's a lot of great podcasts out there that are focusing in more on like the industry side, whereas we include the industry side, but to talk more about social phenomena, I feel um, that it was interesting taking the kind of industry first perspective here, which includes this history of AI winters, especially thinking about um, investment and like where um, the money is going. And it made me think about the cyclical nature of technology development, especially as AI has been concerned, because it's always been this dance of, okay, well, we have this dream of what AI is, and this is going back into what, like the 50s, 60s, of like, we have this dream of what this is, now do we have the technological capacity? And I think sometimes we tell the story now that like, oh no, we actually have the processing power to do the things that we've always dreamed of doing, and to some degree, we do, at least to a greater extent than we have before. But in a lot of ways, there's still a lot more that can happen in, in the future. And so maybe this is the next like false summit where we think that we're living in the now where AI can solve everything or whatever. But, but at the same time, right, I'm not trying to say that we should stay in that narrative because that's what it is for me is like, well, what is the narrative we're trying to tell here? And then I, I think that drives some of the um, where the finances and, and resources are. Um, and, and hype as well. I think the hype is key here, actually, um, and, the, and the narrative and the narrative around that hype, um, because to some degree, and this includes business, you know, it's about storytelling. It's about what are the stories we're telling, and then how are those resources allocated based on the stories that we're telling and the systems that we have in place. And so I think this is an important conversation. Um, again, even in that reframing of going from thinking about, okay, well, what does success mean? What is this like over-promising? We're going to solve all the world's issues with AI. Um, like maybe even that framing is doing us a disservice or potentially causing harm. Like what if we start from maybe not like using the term of failure or the narrative of failure, but what if we start from a place of humility, a place of, well, we don't know everything, a place of, well, maybe let's just not promise anything, but just like kind of see what happens. Um, and, you know, maybe that's not great for the bottom line <laughs> or or a certain um, companies because there are these capitalist systems that, that we're in. Right. But I think that reframing um, it, it could be very helpful for um, a lot of us trying to figure out how to do artificial intelligence. And by do, I mean design and implement artificial intelligence in, in ethical solutions. You know, how do we reimagine this? Um, and hopefully that's one of the hopes that I got from this conversation is an invitation for that. Yes, I love the language of reimagining, and it, it brings me to redefining, um, which actually it, it makes me think of the first few episodes 
honestly probably the first year of episodes of this podcast. I think every single episode that we did, at least one of us mentioned something about how language is power. We were really hyper-focused on that theme, that language is power. And this is making me actually think back to that that concept a little bit because I think you're totally right the way the language that we use around this is actually really important in the way that we frame not just the failure of AI but the way that we frame the success of AI and the way that we even frame the goals of AI and the motivation behind why we're building an AI system is really important for how it can be successful or how it can fail and so for me I'm thinking of how in businesses and industry settings usually the way that the goal of AI is framed is for it to solve a problem and so we go in with that mentality that the AI if it's successful, will solve that problem. And if it fails, it will not solve that problem. But maybe that language is actually limiting and is the cause of failure in itself because a lot of problems can't be solved. And how do you even know when something's been solved versus not? I mean, as humans, I feel like we struggle with that regardless of if technology is involved. So I, I really liked Kathleen's framing, or at least the, the word, the language that she used, which was augment. And actually, I think that the way that she defined successful AI is like almost spot on with the way that I define it as we've been doing this measure mentality series and talking about success in AI so much. And I, I do think that if we were to frame AI, like the goals behind AI differently, and instead of saying that AI is here to solve a problem for us, saying that it's here to help humans solve problems, or it's here to augment human decision-making or something along those lines, I actually think that it would help us be more successful with our AI more generally. And maybe this is all just semantics. Maybe nothing would change except the way that we talk about this stuff, but it still intrigues me. Yeah, Jess, I completely agree. And if you all would like to hear more of our thoughts on the topic of failure and artificial intelligence, then please check out the podcast swap uh, that we did with AI Today, where they interviewed us around very similar topics and very similar questions as what we covered with them in this interview. Again, that link to their episode with us is in our show notes. And that's all the time we have for today. So for more information on today's show, please visit the episode page at RadicalAI.org. Also, just a side note that if you're looking for the show notes on our website and you can't find them, whenever we interview more than one person at a time, that is actually in our community panels section of the show notes. So if you scroll all the way down on our homepage of RadicalAI.org, there you will find all of our panel discussions if you were ever wondering and confused. And if you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Catch our regularly scheduled episodes the first Wednesday of every month, with some bonus episodes, like this one, in between. Join our conversation on Twitter at RadicalAIPod, and, as always, stay radical. Stay radical.